let's, let's just um, kind of focus in on a couple of facts. Most, most of us here in the West, when I'm talking about the West, I'm talking about Western civilization, have a uh, challenge when we read the scriptures because the great majority of Christians, especially here in the United States, insist on reading this book like it's an American book or an English book. Just because it's written in English, this is a Jewish book. Would you turn to somebody and say that, please? This is a Jewish book. And therefore, in order for you to understand it, You've got to look at it through Jewish eyes. Amen? Amen? Yeah. And this is why it's so important for us to do research. It's why it's so important for us not to accept scriptures at face value because many times some things get lost in the translations. And we have to understand we've got to study the culture of the day. We've got to study even the traditions of the day. We've got to hear what they heard in their culture. Otherwise, we lose it. And that's why you have so many ridiculous interpretations sometimes of Scripture um, that really drive people away because they're, this is a Jewish book. It centers around Jerusalem and modern-day Israel. You have to understand that. To this book and this mindset, Jerusalem is the center of the world. Now, I think we talked about this last week briefly, and then I'm going to shut up and give it to Pastor Jerry. Ancient maps always put Jerusalem at the center of the world. Everything else exists around that, okay? And there's a good reason for it, because God said, I'm going to put my name there. This is his city. It's his idea. It's his land. Amen? You have to look at it through those eyes, or you'll, you'll miss the translations. You'll misinterpret it. Uh, you won't get the true message of what Jesus is wanting us to understand. Amen? Amen. Take it away, Pastor Jerry. Let me pivot off of that point. Um, many look at, at, at Scripture as not being the exact Word of God. Um, they look at Scripture as being just a story. And it's not. It is the exact Word of God. It was, um, as uh, we're told was in Timothy, it is... It is the living breath of God. All scripture was what? God breathed. God breathed. So besides looking at it from a Jewish mindset, it's looking at it as God breathed. Not, uh, not a book of, of wonderful stories to help us make us feel good. So let's begin. Let's jump right in. I'm going to spend just a few minutes doing an oversight or a flyover of what we've covered. It's been three weeks already. And then we're going to look at some new things along with your outline. Okay, so I'm out of your outline right now. So over the past few weeks, we've been looking at a specific event that many in the church refer to as the rapture, or as Paul says in his letter to Titus, uh, the blessed hope. Thank you. We learned that even though that the word rapture is not found in Scripture... It is a word derived from the Latin raptio, and that it describes the same event or the catching away. We saw how this catching away, or the Greek word hapazio, applied to the church and that it represented 
more than just an escape clause for the church. It was like a larger view that we then spent some time in, in Second Thessalonians text. In these texts, we witnessed how the church will participate in the restoration of God's creation plan, lost all the way back in the Garden of Eden. As pastor says all the time, it all begins in Genesis. Uh, and extended through almost 6,000 years, if you remember the graph on the, on the, on the uh, screens, and it culminates with the church as an intimate fel in an intimate fellowship with the Father. Now, with the church raptured, no longer on earth, a set of wide-ranging changes will be ushered in. Paul refers to this as the day of Christ, and this day of Christ will be massive and that it will change everything on earth as mankind now knows it. Believe that. God said it. It's true. There will be spiritual changes, both for evil and good. There will be political upheaval, massive geological transformations, and meteorological changes. It will be a time where even the universe itself will seem to be shifting on its foundations. Yet this is all part of God's plan. It's not out of, it's, it has not gotten out of God's uh, command. Um, this is all part of his plan, and it is all part of his timetable. The secular world, or the world that does not hold that Jesus is both God, the Son of God, that he is the Savior, and that his completed atoning work of the cross is what we need to have a relationship with the Father. The secular world is not prepared nor aware of the rapture event. Presently, this same secular world has centered their belief system on becoming gods, the gods of this world. But know this, in the near future, in one staggering instant, their belief system will come crashing down to pieces amidst amidst a scene that will sweep across every inch of the planet Earth. No one left on the Earth after the rapture of the church will escape the effects of this very short seven-year wrath of God. Some would counter that the rapture teachings are nothing more, and you will hear this, as wishful thinking by some in the church. Especially recently. Very much recently. But the scriptures bear out how that which will come cannot bring wrath on the church. And we talked about that. Jesus took God's wrath upon himself at the cross. In truth, the church has not decided to flee the earth, but will be caught up to meet the Lord Jesus in the air. As far as Christians are concerned, their mandate from Christ has been the same for 2,000 years and that is to bring the gospel message of Jesus to whomever will turn their hearts to God, which removes them from God's wrath. To sum it up, Paul says it this way. For God has not appointed us, the church, to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. That's in 1 Thessalonians 6, 9. Or Jesus is we have, I see we have outlines now. Anybody that does not have an outline, please raise your hand and keep it up. We have a few people here in the okay. center. Good. Again. 
Let me tell you, this is a good problem. Can to anybody? Have. Can it? Ryan, do you have one? No. There's so we need. There more. There, more there's more copies coming. Okay. And then finally, Jesus said it himself to the Philadelphia church: "Because you have kept the word of my patience, I also will keep you from the hour of temptation, which will come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth." That's over in Revelations. Amen. So, let's go into tonight's, uh, tonight's outline. The closing arguments, and I don't mean argument as in a fight, I mean argument as the good solid principles laid out by Scripture, is that some, and I, a couple of people grabbed me in the lobby last week and said, well, this is all a new concept to me, and the church, isn't it? And it isn't. Rapture is not a new concept. God has been, if you will, schooling us to the existence of rapture, the catching away, throughout the Old Testament and Since the, the New Testament. Since the book of Genesis. Pardon? Since the book of Genesis. Since the book of Genesis. And so in our closing time tonight, we're going to check to see if the rapture is a new concept. Surprisingly enough, the Bible's teaching on the rapture is not only demonstrated, not centered solely on the church. This same catching away has occurred several times in history and has been captured for us in the biblical narratives. The Bible records many examples of people and people groups being raptured. I have chosen just seven for us to consider this evening, but there are more. These are the seven principal ones that even a cursory reading of scripture would jump off the page at you. The first one, your first fill-in, is Enoch. First one is Enoch. Recall from Genesis, like Pastor said, the account that Adam and Eve were created by God and placed in a perfect environment. They had an intimate relationship with God and in fact enjoyed his daily presence. We can recall also that they were each tempted and fell into sin and were expelled from the perfect environment of the Garden of Eden. Sub subsequently, their first son Abel was killed by his brother Cain, who became the father of the ungodly, and then Seth, Adam's third son, who became the father of the godly to replace Abel. The text says this, And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son, and called his name Seth, for God said, she has appointed me another seed instead of Abel, whom Cain slew. And Seth to him also there, were born, there was born a son, and he called his name Enos. Then men began to call in the name of the Lord. That's in Genesis chapter 4, 25. Now let's pause there for a second because there are two key things I want to point out there. We can see from above text that Seth was to be the lineage from which God's Messiah was to come. Notice also the construction of the last phrase in our text. Some translations there will state, then men began to call on or upon the name of the Lord. And although that's a plausible translation, it is not an accurate one. I believe, as do many Bible scholars, that the above translation that I use there is correct. Men began to call in the name of the Lord. Why? Well because they called forth their own gods and began to call them Lord. 
That's what that construction implies. What's the difference? Because this translation points out that idolatry entered the world by the time of Enos. Romans chapter 1. It is not only a Christian view, it is shared by some of the ancient Jewish commentaries in that at the time of Enos, idolatry invaded man's walk on the earth and he, man, began to call in the name of the Lord. Here's, here's one. Then to call in the name of Hashem the Lord, it became profaned, as found in the early stone Chumas. Here, the commentators point out that the generation of Enos introduced idolatry, which was to become the blight of humanity for thousands of years. By ascribing godlike qualities to man and lifeless objects, they created the abominable situation in which to call in the name of Hashem became profane. Do you see the preposition there? Again, are you familiar? You probably heard about Maimonides. He was a famous Jewish rabbi scholar. Here's a quote from him. As translated by Elihu Tulgar, it states, quote, during the times of Enosh, mankind made a great mistake and the wise men of that generation gave thoughtless counsel. Enosh himself was one of those who erred. Their mistake was as follows. They said God created the stars and spheres with which to control the world. He placed them on high and treated them with honor, making them servants who minister before him. Accordingly, it is fitting to praise and glorify them and to treat them with honor. So why did I go down this rabbit trail? We can see that it was generally held by the ancient Hebrew rabbis that idolatry entered with and at the time of Enosh and was fully developed by the birth of the sixth from Adam, Enoch. Enoch. Now watch. Let's go back to Genesis. And Jared lived 160 and two years, and he begot Enoch. And Jared lived after he begot Enoch 800 years and begot sons and daughters. And all the days of Jared were 960 and two years, and he died. And Enoch lived 60 and five years and begot Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God after he begot Methuselah 300 years and begot sons and daughters. And all the days, watch this, of Enoch were 360 and five years, and Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Rapture. First rapture. All the citations are there for you, Genesis 5.18 and forward. As we can see from the above text, Enoch was the godly man in a sixth generation of idolatry. The world was out of control, but this was a man who walked with God. He walked with God, and when he walked, the face of the earth, even during the time when idolatry, sin, demonic forces, they had overrun the earth by this time. According to the extra biblical text found in the book of Enoch, the earth had become dominated by fallen celestial beings who had taken the daughters of men as wives. This had produced a godless and evil young in their attempts to pollute the human lineage. God in his mercy sought out and employed Noah, a righteous man, to build an ark. 
But as for Enoch, he never saw death. He never saw the wrath of the flood. For the Lord took Enoch and spared him of the coming judgment, just as we saw he will do with the church. Does, that just gives me a sense of the graciousness of God. The graceness of God. Did you want to say something, Pastor? Um, I'd like to say a lot of things. I know. <laughs> we can get stuck here for the entire evening. Do you have any questions? Do, do you understand? Enoch? First of all, do you understand that last paragraph that we just read? Do you understand now why the flood had to take place? Okay, because mankind had become polluted at the DNA level. And therefore, there's only eight individuals in the entire world that were able to be spared because they had to carry on the lineage that eventually Jesus would be born from. You get this? Okay, because some people go, well, how good could God be if he wiped out all the earth and except for eight people, and you know, when he wiped out the earth with a flood. He did it as a method of preservation. Do you understand that? Because Jesus had to come from a pure lineage, untainted by anything of the demonic realm. You, you get this? No question is a stupid question. The fallen celestial beings, can you give an an explanation of that? I was hoping we wouldn't have to get into this. <laughs> we'll be here for days. Okay. What do we want to do with this? Can you pinpoint the question? No, I know what she's saying. She wants to know who the celestial beings are. <laughs> Fallen angels. Okay. Fallen angels, but it's very pot, and we can't we can't get into this, okay? Because we don't have enough information. But it is extremely possible that it's just talking about an entirely other race of beings that came about um, because of. Well, they're not really fallen angels. It's a hybrid of being that needed to get wiped out. My poor wife has to put up with this every morning. And we've been going through this stuff for, for we, gosh, the past couple of years now. We, There's a whole lot that we don't know yet. There's a years. whole lot that we don't understand yet. But yet we just can't say, well, it's not this and it's not that. It's the other thing. It seems like there's an entire other race of beings that became produced on the earth through the joining of other beings in the universe coming together with human, with women, okay, and producing uh, a race of individuals that had to get wiped out off the face of the earth, okay? All right, so now if you studied mythology, Greek mythology, Roman mythology, all of those things, some of them might not have been myths. Some of them may have been from that race of beings, and now I'm really into it. Now. I know. All right, don't throw stones, don't throw tomatoes, don't, don't leave the church. I, we don't know. We don't know. We, what we know is what information we have, and that's what we have to go on. Everything else is a lot of speculation, but 
some of it makes a lot of sense. Okay. You want to read it? All right, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, we're going to get into stay, it now. Let's just stay with the biblical We, we just text. extended the series for two weeks. <laughs> you can do this in two weeks? You've been holding out on me. <laughs> go ahead. Read the text. Here, here's what the text says, and here's where I was referring to. It's in Genesis chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. Now it came about, now it came about when... Oh, hold on, hold on. Before you get into that. You've got to understand that Genesis chapter 6 tells us how bad and corrupt mankind have become on the earth, how their hearts were and minds were filled continuously with violence. Um, and it seems like it happened so fast from Adam until the time of Noah. It just seems like it happened in just a few generations. But then understand, a generation back then is six, seven, eight hundred years. Um, Nine hundred, yeah. You know, yeah. some of them live to be nine hundred. Well, oh, that's impossible. No, it's not impossible. Okay, if you study and do the research scientifically, it's not impossible because the Earth was extremely different than the planet that we have right now. Okay, you're talking pre-flood. It's a whole different deal. So, God, the Holy Ghost, is giving us the information that we need to understand why the flood. Why the flood? What happened so badly? that God had to deal so um, radically to eliminate a threat to the lineage that was going to produce the Messiah. Does that make sense? Okay. Say what sounds like science fiction. Where do you think they get the stories from? Now, what we should be saying when we watch some of these movies is, that sounds like the Bible. Go ahead. Now it came about when men began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful and they took wives for themselves, whomever they chose. They took. They took. Not necessarily consensually. Well, the... They took. The Aramaic Hebraic construction is that it wasn't consensual. It's not consensual. All right, so go ahead. Um, then the Lord said, my spirit shall not strive with men forever because he also is flesh. Nevertheless, his days shall be 120. We just back down. For the Nephilim were on the earth during those days and also afterward when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and they bore to them. Those were the mighty men of old, old of men of renown. Verse 5, then the Lord saw, and this is important to our study with Enoch. He saw that the wickedness of men was great on the earth and that every intent and the thoughts of his heart was only to do evil. So there's, as Pastor was saying, there is, it had polluted the, the, the people on the earth to the degree that God needed to do something to make the correction to make sure that the lineage of the Messiah was perfected. Thank God he did, because that's how you and I got here. Does that help you? Okay. Did you already um, perceive some of that before you asked the question? Or? Okay. Okay, so you, you were making the connection. All right, let's do it. Anybody else have questions? Back there. Why was Enoch spared in Noah and Noah? I'm sorry? 
Why was Enoch spared and Noah employed? Why was Enoch spared and I didn't hear the rest of it? And Noah employed. 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 To oh, make the ark. So, okay. Well, because he was still part of that lineage that was pure. Well, Enoch, yeah, Enoch was too. That's why Enoch is taken off the earth. And honestly, I, you know, God does things sometimes so that in the future we can point back and understand that it was symbolic. And if you look at Enoch, he's a perfect representation of the, of the, of, of the church. Let me just clarify that. Not that, we, not that the church is perfect, but that we're walking with God. And God, at this point in time in the future, in our near future, is going to remove us just like he removed Enoch before the flood comes. I don't mean, I mean symbolic flood. Before this flood of the wrath of God comes upon the earth again. So do you see that? Yeah, does that help you? A little bit? So Enoch kept himself pure. Okay? He's in relationship with God. He's walking with God. And when, when it says somebody walks with God... It's really hinting at a devotion, a passion for God, uh, a life of strict obedience to God. And so God removes him so that he doesn't, he doesn't have to see what's going to come upon the earth. Noah is employed, to use what your, your language there, Noah is chosen to be the one that's going to build a method of salvation. The ark is representative both of the church, but really more representative of Jesus Christ himself. Because when we're born again, we're in Christ, and therefore in Christ, we're saved from the wrath to come. Those that entered into the ark are in the ark, they're saved from the wrath that was to come. Do you see that? Okay. I hope that helps. You need the mic. If the DNA of um, man was infiltrated uh, in the, the heritage, how did Noah, uh, but then maybe you just answered it for me, that God... They didn't all go after it, right. Okay. Anybody else? I know this can seem like uh, we're just trying to go over here. Keep your hand up. They don't know where you are. So how do we not know that we've not already been infiltrated again after the flood? I mean, look at our world today. It's pretty bad, pretty corrupt, pretty evil, pretty... Uh, pretty like the days of Noah. Exactly. So, we're, didn't, I mean, obviously we were infiltrated at some point by question mark. So... You're saying we were? I think we were, Well, sure. spiritually, yes. Yeah, absolutely. But, uh, uh, I don't know, but physically... Well... At this point in time, though, that could be questionable. Well, <laughs> what, what exactly was the goal of the infiltration? Was to spoil the lineage of the Messiah. Oh, when okay. the Messiah, Messiah came, is here, yeah, he's yeah. Came, yeah. Okay. He, he drew the line in the sand. Right. Right. Okay. So, so really, you could say when God said to Adam, in the day that you eat of that tree, you shall surely die. It's talking about spiritual death. But it's also talking about physical death. Because physical death cannot take place if there's no spiritual death. That's why Jesus had to assume all of our sin on himself. Otherwise, there's no way for him to die. His body could not die. Sin brings death. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. Anybody else? It's funny. I talked to 
pass to Jerry about what I was asking him before. We have been infiltrated already. Because if you look back, that was just on. Keep uh, your mic here. With Eric McTaxis, he was talking about the 16th, 19th Bible. Yeah, let's not get into that. Uh, well, yeah, let's stay on topic, Don. This is within the topic. Yeah, but Mark we're talking about, you're talking about spiritual. No, no, no. I'm talking about the mark of the beast says. Okay. We're going to get on a different. It's we, in we you. Right. Okay. right. We're not going to get into that right now. Thank you, though. We're, 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 Anybody else? Hello. Okay, so just like they all they were altering DNA back then, it kind of looks like that's similar well, that's to what we're that's doing what, now. That's what our sister over here said. Yeah. yeah. So they're doing the same thing. So that's like another sign pointing. It's gonna. He's coming soon. Like right. Yeah. Maybe that's what he meant when he said, "If he didn't return, there would be no flesh left." Look, Paul said we're living in perilous times, treacherous times, okay? We know that. That's why we should, we, the church, should have a sense of urgency to reach as many people, to coax them to get into the ark now while they still can. Because remember, it wasn't man that shut the door to the ark. It was God that shut the door to the ark. So there's an appointed day where the ark is going to get shut. And that's that. So... Anybody else before we go into? Let's, let's look at number two. Number two's filling is Moses. Now Moses was without a question Israel's greatest prophet, and it was through him that God was to bring the children of Israel out of bondage or slavery of Egypt. Moses' life is best summarized in thirds, thirds of forties. Moses' first 40 years were in the courts in service to Pharaoh. His second 40 years were in the deserts as a shepherd in the region of Midian. And his final 40 years were as Yahweh's deliverer to his people. In scripture, Egypt is always a place of slavery, whether it is the place of slavery under the yoke of Pharaoh or a place of slavery under the yoke of sin. Whether it is one or the other makes no difference as Egypt and sin are places of great idolatry. And so there is a similarity to Moses' walk in Egypt and Egypt's and Enoch's walk on earth. But was Moses actually raptured? In, I believe I put this wrong, I have Exodus 34, I think that should be Deuteronomy 34. Moses went up from the plains of Moab to the mountain of Nebo to the top of Pisgah. There, that is over against Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land of Gilead as far as Dan and all the Naphtali and all the land of Ephraim and Manasseh and all the land of Judah as far as the sea in the south and the plain of the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees, all the way to Zoar. In Deuteronomy we further read, And the Lord said to him, Moses, This is the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your seed. I have caused you to see it with your own eyes, but you shall not go over into the land. And so having seen the land from Nebo with his own eyes, Moses died. But Moses didn't die of a wound, old age, or sickness. Deuteronomy tells us that Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eyes were not dim, nor was his natural force abated. Notice the physical condition of Moses. Notice also that there was no witness to Moses' death, but yet he did die. No one knows where he was buried. 
but there's no body. The Lord's brother Jude may shed some light on this. He wrote, Likewise, also those filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, did not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you, but these speak evil of those things which they know not, but what they know naturally as brute beasts in those things that corrupt themselves. Notice the scenario that Jude records. For some reason unknown to us, Satan tried to lay claim to Moses' body and take charge of him in death. One can only guess the reason. Yet Michael, with one phrase, loosens whatever hold Satan may have held, had by merely casting him aside with, the Lord rebuke you. But does this prove that Moses was raptured? I believe it does, because the next time we see Moses, he's alive. Observe the following from Matthew. And after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, brought them up onto a high mountain apart from the others, and was transfigured before them. And his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. And behold, there appeared to him Moses and Elijah talking with him. Now, without letting too much from our next rapture example, what we see here is Moses and Elijah. Moses isn't in Hades waiting with Abraham and the other Old Testament fathers. He's alive and he's talking with Jesus. I hold, he's raptured. Number three. Well, at least his body, anyway. Yeah. At least his body. At least. Because he did die. He, oh, he died. But dying does not mean he wasn't raptured. The dead in Christ will rise when the church is raptured. Well, the ones that came out of the graves when Jesus rose from the dead. Ooh, we're going to get to him. Right. <coughs> that was my surprise. Now, Sorry. next is Elijah. Elijah is pretty we, Should we take some questions before oh, we get? Okay. Do we have any questions? Any questions about Moisha? About Moisha. No questions about Moses. Okay. Okay. Good. Next is Elijah. Elijah lived in the ninth century B.C. when idolatry of the worst kind was not only flourishing but was being promoted by King Ahab and his wife, Queen Jezebel. They had Hold on a second. Hold on. Jezebel. <laughs> now everybody, Jezebel. <laughs> okay, she doesn't appear anymore. I don't have to put up with that. <laughs> Where was I? Oh, yeah, Jezebel. Okay, they had entrenched the worship of Baal in the land. We are all familiar with the story of Elijah and the priests of Baal and how God of Israel came in power and destroyed not only Elijah's sacrifice, but the priests of Baal. This he accomplished only after he had stopped the rain in Israel for three and a half years. As it turned out, it was time for Elijah to be called home and his role as prophet 
would be carried on by Elisha, who was accompanying him. Here is what is reported in 2 Kings. And it came to pass as they, Elijah and Elisha, still went on and talked, and behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire, and parted them both asunder. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into the heavens. And Elisha saw it, and he cried, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And he saw him, Elisha, no more. And he took hold of his own clothes, and he rent them in two pieces. What we see here in this narrative is that in one instant, the two were divided, and Elijah went up in a whirlwind into a fiery chariot into the clouds, just as Jesus went, and just as the church will go. Amen. Questions? Elijah? There's something in Revelations where he, something to do with his dying and the resurrection. No, some people think that the two witnesses that show up in Jerusalem for two and a half years, three and a half years? Three and a half years. Three and a half years. Uh, that one will be Elijah and the other one will be Enoch because okay. neither one of them died physically. So some people say it doesn't actually say it's Elijah. It talks about two witnesses. Most Bible commentators, Bible scholars will say that it's probably Elijah and Enoch. Yeah, but they, you can, they will die in Jerusalem. And their bodies will lay out on display for three days, and then after three days, they come back to life in front of the whole world and are raptured. Any other questions before we go any further? I guess it's pretty self-explanatory. Right? These are definite symbols, definite representations of the rapture. Okay. Well, what do you want from me? I don't, you know, the questions are coming up. All right, next. I'm giving away all his surprises. I'm sorry. Here's next. Next one is Jesus. And it's interesting, of the seven, Jesus is central. There's three before and three after. As with Enoch, Moses, and Elijah, Jesus came at a time when the heathen and pagan idolatries were at their zenith. Rome ruled the known world and suffered all to bow the knee to the Caesars in worship as well as the plethora of gods and goddesses they had either invented or acquired from others. The basement had seized Israel during this time also. Get <coughs> some water. Israel during this time also in the form of priesthood thieves and scribal system offering nothing but condemnation and bondage to their laws. Thank you. You're welcome. To all of this, Jesus the Messiah came on the scene, lived a sinless Thank life, you. went to the cross, rose from the dead, and ascended into the heavenlies, into the clouds as his faithful followers watched, bearing witness to his rapture. Acts tells us this. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking up intently into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking in the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way that you have seen him go into heaven. Rapture. 
can't, can't really dispute this. This is the definite rapture. The catching away. But I, this one's a little bit different, though. How so? Well, because it seems like it happened <coughs> that Jesus ascended into heaven slow enough where they had time to actually grasp what's happening, where it seems like the rapture of the church is going to be, doesn't it yeah. say atomos in Greek, like an like atomic second, second. Yeah. that it'll happen. So it seems like this is a little bit different. Yeah. I think because of the witness that it would give. But again, I don't want to spoil your next topic. <laughs> um, some, of the, some of the early church um, theologians state that when Jesus ascended into heaven, so did this next group together with him. So, do you want to tell them about the next group? <laughs> well, they, well, they have the outline, so. Yeah, but they, they, they don't have it. They have, it's a fill-in for them. Oh, the Old Testament saints is the next fill-in after Jesus. The Old Testament saints. All those who have died. Yeah, that's a good point. Pastor just said something that I that may not be in my notes, but it's extremely, it's just as value, valuable. Um, there, the, like there are, there are raptures that I couldn't include because we'd be here forever, but also there are, there's a tremendous amount of evidence in the scripture supporting the concept of being caught away. So don't look at this as, oh, Pastor Jerry's given me the gospel of raptures. No, this is a, we're, we're, we're getting an overview, okay? I can't stress that enough. Well, our goal is to show that, that this rapture that's coming in the future, the next rapture on God's calendar is not a solitary event. It's not a standalone. Yeah. It has happened before. So, but because it's happened so sparsely, and so, uh, so much time in between, we have the tendency to forget about these things. Yes, and also, much of the world is trying to discount the fact that the church is going to be raptured. Right, or, or counterfeit. And they are throwing counterfeit concepts, counterfeit supposed biblical principles. And I want you to know the truth because what does the Bible say? Pastor wants you to know the truth. The Bible says this. Bible school students, where are you? You will know the truth. Amen. Amen. All right, all those who had died during the Old Testament times had been waiting patiently for the fullness of the atonement that would come with the Messiah's sacrifice. As we saw in the previous section, Jesus had come. He had risen, and as a result, something very interesting was noted in the Gospel of Matthew. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in half from top to bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks split apart, and the graves were opened. And many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many. So let's get the timeline. Jesus is on the cross. It is finished. Earthquake. The graves open up, but they don't come out of the graves until he comes out of the grave. The power, the power of the resurrection extended to the Old Testament states. Shot through it. Yeah. Right there in the Kidron Valley. 
Can you imagine what a sight that was that morning? Who is it? It's Uncle George. <laughs> you died 20 years ago. I'm back. <laughs> I'm only going to be around for a little bit. <laughs> The Old Testament saints walked out of their graves and went into the city. But what happened to them? We learn from the Gospel of Luke, the story of the rich man and the beggar Lazarus that was there is a place called Sheol, known as Abraham's bosom. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried, and in Sheol he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, seeing Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. That's a look. Luke. But what happened to them? The answer to both is found in Paul's letter to the Ephesian church. But to every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he says, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? And he that descended into the same also that ascended up far above all the heavens that he might fulfill the things. What Paul records for us here is that the Old Testament saints who literally were on the face of the earth when Jesus freed the spirits in Sheol, the Old Testament saints who had risen from the dead were caught up together with them into the clouds. So that's what happened from the time the graves opened until the time they walked out. couldn't come out because when he rose from the dead, he had already come through this process. Yes. Coming, and then he took up his body, and at that point, they could take up their bodies. So there's nobody left in that part of Sheol. It's empty. It's empty, because the other part of Sheol is still there. Hades is still there. That will be there. That will be there to the great white throne judgment. Right. Then that gets emptied into the lake of fire. But the paradise side of Sheol is empty. It's gone. Abraham's spirit is in heaven. Jacob, all the Old Testament saints. Got it? Questions? My question is when they uh, came up out of their graves after Jesus was crucified <clears throat> and they were walking in the streets. No, they came out of the graves after the resurrection. After the resurrection. They the were tombs walking, opened when he said it is finished. And they were walking in the street of the city. Were they in their glorified bodies? Mm, don't know. That's, that's the truth. Well, they could have been because Jesus was Very in his glorified body. Jesus was in his glorified body. So they would have been in their glorified bodies. Yeah, because well. their spirits would have been reunited. When we get raptured, the dead in Christ are going to rise first. Yeah. Their bodies are on the earth, but their spirits in heaven. That time, their bodies on the earth, but their spirits in Sheol. Hmm. So that the spirit that was in paradise got reunited with the body, went up. It's the other way around in the rapture of the church. The okay. ones that died first, their gotcha. spirits that are yes. in heaven will be reunited with their body that's on the earth. Yes. Glorified body, out of here. Thank you. Literally, it's probably slow compared to... That's a good point. Thank you. Yeah. Good point. Awesome questions. Yeah. Back there. Hey, sorry to bother you again. That's um, okay. Just real quick. Is that where we get the idea of purgatory? 
that the Old Testament saints were taken up? And is that why God had to move Moses' body to a place that Satan couldn't find? So no, that way it could be glorified? I, I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, because purgatory is a semi-place of torment. Okay. People are paying for their... According to that... I don't believe that doctrine at all. Okay. But according to that doctrine, people are paying for their sins in purgatory. And the more we have masses said for them and do good deeds, you know, it's like, you know, uh, like Monopoly. You know, you keep so, going around. So just to, to ask what was happening to those bodies in that interim until um, Jesus was that bridge. I'm sorry? What was happening to those bodies in that interim until Jesus was that bridge? The physical bodies? Yeah. They're in the ground. Most of them were probably just dust by that point. So why call them back up? Because it's a promise of the last day resurrection. You remember when Lazarus yeah, was, in, was in the grave, was in yeah. the tomb? And Jesus said, don't you believe that your brother's going to raise from the dead? He, they go, yeah, on the last day. Right. That was Jewish doctrine. On the last day, there's a resurrection of the bodies and the spirits. Yeah, it was after the third day because that's when they right. that the exactly. soul left the body. Yeah. Right. So the body stays in the ground. The right. spirit goes the spirit to heaven. was already there and then it just re-encapsulated? I'm sorry? The spirit was already up in heaven and yes. then Well, when a person dies, Paul says to be absent from the body is to be present Excellent. with the Lord. Correct. So you and I, we die because we're in Christ. Our spirit immediately goes into the presence of the Lord, but our physical body stays here. Okay. At the rapture, they get joined. So it took a... But on our way a, up, in an instant, we receive our glorified body. So then just a follow-up question, that's more of a show of display of God's power? That's a good point. Yeah, possibly, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah because you can't deny a physical thing that you see on the earth. Fair enough. Just like those graves had to be open. Oh, it's very helpful. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Again, good questions. Um, these Old Testament saints that rose, were they... Um, I'm sorry, I was talking. Can you say something? I'm sorry, yes. Uh, the Old Testament saints that, were, that, were the, that rose after Jesus, or with Jesus... Were they the Old Testaments from like... Key, quest, key, key word you just said. The Old Testament what? Saints. Saints. That means they were what? Believers. Right. Okay. It's not everybody in the Old Testament. Right. The, the saints okay. like, for example, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Right. Were, those, were, who, those who had faith that someday the Messiah would come, and just like Abraham believed, and it was accredited to him as righteousness. Right. So... Do you think it was all of them that rose? Like, you know, maybe Abraham was walking around with them or just some? I don't know. I think no. Pastor Jerry and I differ on this. Look at the, look at the text. The te is this one? Look at the text. The, the graves that opened were in... Um, uh, it doesn't say where they are. It, it doesn't say. We know they're in the Kidron, Kidron Valley, but it doesn't limit it to the Kidron Valley. Hmm. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> That's why he's a senior pastor. We don't know. I would suspect, because it tells us that God's no respecter of persons, what's he going to tell the people outside of Jerusalem? I'll come back and get you in 3,000 years or 2,000 years. I, in my opinion, again, you're allowed to have your opinion for tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I would think, judging by the character of God, the nature of God, I think everybody in the Old Testament that was a believer, 
truth. I never thought about it. I yeah. just, I just naturally well, I remember, thought about the I remember, Valley. Yeah, I remember a few years ago, probably five, six years ago, I was thinking about this and I started doing some research. And there's a whole lot of information in, from the early church, what they call the early church fathers. In other words, the people that were the theologians, the leaders, church leaders. And there was a common belief in the first couple of hundred years that um, when Jesus ascended into heaven from the Mount of Olives, that there was a multitude of individuals that joined him. Wow. And these, are these people here. I mean, it was, was he going to tell them, go back in the grave? No. So, you know. Again, you know, you got to put God's nature and all of that and the promises. And honestly, how could he leave them? Because he fulfilled that part of the promise of the covenant to Abraham. Right. So why would he leave them on the earth, you know? I don't know. We'll find out. He's gone. Anybody else have a question? Did I see you here? Oh. I don't know if it's a question. I just want to ask similarity. I was reading in, um, in, verse, in chapter 3, you were talking about. Um, chapter 3 of what book? No, in the, in the, in the notes. Oh, the notes. When he talked about um, Elijah, when he took his clothes and ripped them in two. Yeah, uh, no, Elisha. Elisha, right. Elisha. Is that any similarity to the veil being torn in two? Well, I never, I never made that connection. I, I, don't, I don't know. Yeah, it's but we know that it's a Jewish tradition. A sign of mourning is when you rip your clothes. So I don't know why it would be mourning, because he saw that he's alive. He's just mourning his loss. Because Elisha was very close to Elijah. But that's a good point. Oh, it's possible that there's a connection there. Yeah, because it's really the tearing away and, and introducing a whole other. Yeah, that's a good point. Anybody else? The next one we've been doing for weeks. So that's the rapture of the church. And then finally, the two witnesses. Oh, we did finish. During the seven years that God pours out his wrath upon the earth, during the end times, Revelation tells us that there are two witnesses who will come and ascend the, uh, onto the world <laughs> stage. We have another difference of opinion. <laughs> That's what I was telling you. I believe, as do other Bible scholars, that these two witnesses would have to live, would have had to live before and so would have had to have been raptured. Based on this fact that we will soon see, these can be none other than Moses and Elijah. But let's see if the text will bear this out. <laughs> First, let us look at the Revelation text that describe the two witnesses. These are two olive trees. We're going to Revelation of chapter 11. <laughs> These are two olive trees and two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. And if any man will hurt them, fire proceeds out of their mouths and devours their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must do his, uh, he must in this manner be killed. These have the power to shut up the heaven that reign not in the days of their prophecy mm. and have the power over waters to turn them to blood and to smite the earth 
with plagues as often as they will. All right, so I can see where that describes Moses' well, ministry. Yeah, based Elijah, on that. Elijah prayed and there was no rain for three and a half years. So it's... That could be Moses. Yeah. But maybe he's got Enoch with him. The so maybe there's, three maybe there's three witnesses. <laughs> I tell you this. I'm going to know from heaven, not from Jerusalem. Exactly. <laughs> so what we see described in the Revelation text, and that's kind of where we, we, we put a differ, are that very roles and acts that both Moses and Elijah carried out already described in the Old Testament. In this case, however, instead of just in the authority over Israel, their authority is before the whole world. Recall that Elijah withheld the rain from Israel for three and a half years. First Kings, Second Kings, and James 5.17. And Moses smote the earth both with blood water and plagues. Exodus 7.14, all the way through to Exodus 11.10. Uh, you got me. I see it now. Can these two witnesses be none other than Moses and Elijah? For our consideration, each of the two witnesses stand before the people who proclaim Lord during the first half of God's wrath on the earth and in the face of the most horrific time of idolatry, evil, and corruption. So much so that after having been killed, their bodies are left rotting in the street, prompting a worldwide celebration, but only a temporary celebration. The text in Revelations reads, and after three days and a half, the spirit of life from God entered into them and they stood upon their feet. Great fear fell upon them which saw them, and they heard a great voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here, and they ascended into heaven in a cloud, and their enemies witnessed them. They ascended into heaven in a cloud, and when they were, when they were raptured, just as Jesus did, just as Elijah did, and just as we saw over the last few weeks, the church would also be raptured. So that... that uh, gentleman back there, sir, you, you made a comment before about is it a display of God's power? In this case, it certainly is, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I never made that connection. You got me? Yeah. Because those, those were their ministries on the earth. Well, to be honest with you, we've gone back and forth with this, and I, could, I, don't, I couldn't remember why I thought it was Moses. Mm -hmm. But when I was studying it now, out, yeah, I, see it. I went, oh, yeah, that's why. I see it. Yeah. Now, I wonder if that's significant because it's going to be in Jerusalem. And I mean, you know, Moses has a very central part in Judaism. He gets to see the promised land. He gets to see the promised land. So, Mount of Transfiguration, he, he kind of got to see it there, too. Well, yeah. 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 Well. Any other questions? Man, you guys are letting us off easy tonight. No other questions. Can I get 10 more minutes from you? Yes. 10 minutes? Carol, 10 from you. Pastor Beth, 10 from you. That's 20. You're using my math 30. now. You're giving me 40. Do you have a question or were you agreeing with me? Okay. Pastor had talked, you can't complete the study that we've been through over the last few weeks without making some personal decisions. And um, I think it's, it's, it's important we spend a couple of minutes 
in prayer, but before that, to prepare our hearts to meet God in prayer. So how should be believers be living, I think, is a great way to summarize what we've been studying over the last few weeks. Here we have seven biblical examples of the catching away or snatching away or the rapture. With these as examples, we can, in no good conscience, deny the biblical teaching of the truth of the rapture. With all that we know, the question that begs to be answered is, how should we be living knowing that in all probability we are in the end times church? I believe we're in a season of three primary needs. One, we need to be the lights that shine in the darkness. We need to be participants in this last revival of the church age. We can no longer remain secure, nestled in our church chairs. Luke said it this way, blessed is the servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. The second need is to be on the lookout for his appearing. We need to be watching for his imminent return. We need to be praying over Jesus' imminent return. And in Romans, Paul wrote, and do this knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. And the third need is to become better ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to be prepared to do whatever the Holy Spirit needs us to do to reach as many souls as possible. We need to be stirring up within ourselves a heart for those who right now are headed for God's seven years of wrath in the short term and eternal lostness in the long term. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Let's all join in a time of prayer, committing ourselves to a more intentional, single-mindedness for those we have been called to minister salvation to. Before we even get into that, and we will very shortly, this is not a time in human history, and this is certainly not a time in your history, in your life, in my life, for us to be living a very loose lifestyle, for us to be complacent, for us to be entertaining sin. It is certainly time for us to, show, to just throw off every association with darkness, to throw off every connection with the world system that we're surrounded in and surrounded by. Most of you made the connection that the times we are living in right now and have been for many decades is very similar to the time before the flood, extremely similar. I think if we had a fullness of understanding and fullness of revelation of what the world was like before the flood, it would frighten us to realize, wow, we're right there again. 
and mankind is right there again, right on the brink of the greatest disaster that will hit this planet. I beg you, as I remind myself, on a regular basis, I'm talking to believers now, put off the works of darkness. Put on the armor of light. Put off the things that we're told to in the scriptures, especially Colossians chapter three. Put off anger, put off malice, put off everything that would connect us to the kingdom of darkness. Put off the worldly desires that drag us in the mud and cause us to live with complacency and compromise. It is not a time right now. The truth of the matter is, we don't know everything. We see things in the scriptures that can give us an idea about times and seasons, but we honestly don't know. Jesus could, re Jesus could appear at any moment to take the church off of the earth. We don't know what's going on behind the scenes. We don't know what's going on behind, unless the Spirit of God reveals to us, we don't know what's going on in the realm of the Spirit right now, even as we're sitting here. This is not time to be living, I don't know how else to say it, but just a loose, whatever happens, happens. God loves me just the way I am, even though we know that's true. Okay, but we gotta get our act together. We're believers. We need to live like believers. We need to live like representations of the kingdom of God. We need to live like ambassadors of the Lord Jesus Christ. Doing it Now, we're never going to get it perfect. We understand that. But we should be at least heading in that direction, or at least have the desire to head in that direction. If we know that the Holy Spirit is dealing with us about a particular issue in our life, a particular area of our life, we might not have decades in front of us well, in the future, next time. Well, maybe next year. Well, you know, if God deals with me again, please. It's that serious. There's never been a generation on the earth that has been as close to the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ as we are right now. There's never been as, much, as, as, as many prophecies fulfilled as there has been up until this point. We don't know it all. Jesus could come tonight, could come to, during the night, could come tomorrow at any point in time. Now, he's coming for those who are looking for him. So please, please, if you have been entertaining or you have a loved one that's been entertaining, uh, they've been saying this for thousands of years. Yeah, for thousands of years they've been looking forward to it. And now here we are. Don't blow it off. Don't blow it off. Even if we got it 100% wrong, it's better for us to stay prepared, get prepared and stay prepared than it would be for us to miss out on things. Amen? Amen. So would you join me in your hearts, please? And join your faith together with me. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, Lord God, we pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit within us, Lord, that you would deal with each and every one of us in this room right now. Any person that will be listening to this in the future, Father, we give you permission, Holy Spirit, to come and deal with us. Lord, please don't leave us the way we are. Father, whatever things are in our lives, Lord God, that are displeasing to you, Father, 
we bring them to you. We, we, we just ask you, come in and do what you need to do. Do the cleansing. Do, just draw our attention to these areas. And Father, every single one of us in here tonight have something different. Lord, Holy Spirit, come and work in our hearts. Come and work in our souls. Now, Father, I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that, Lord God, that you would give us the honor and the privilege of participating in this last revival for the church age. Lord, we know that after the rapture, there's going to be the greatest harvest that's ever taken place in the history of this planet. But Lord, there is a beginning of the church age and an ending of the church age, and we recognize that. Father, while the church is still here on the earth, Father, grant us revival. Revive our souls. Revive us, Father God. Revive the church, Lord, all over the world, Father God. Revive each and every believer, Lord God. Cause us to come back to life again. And Lord... Once your church is revived, Father God, then grant us an awakening in this nation and every nation of this planet, Father God. An awakening, an awakening. That final dinner bell, that final alarm, your mercy to the nations of this world. Father, you designed this concept of nations. You called Israel to be a nation. You designed this concept, Lord God. And Father, you expect a harvest from every nation on this planet. Lord, to the region that you've given us influence over and responsibility for, Lord, I pray for a great harvest from this region, Father God. Lord, I pray that every one of our churches, God, every church, every church, every believer that calls upon the name of the Lord, Father God, would come to life like never before, that the fire of God would rise up on the inside of us, Lord God, that we would seize this opportunity, Father, and this sense of urgency would just sweep over us and overtake us and begin to order our steps accordingly to that sense of urgency. Father, you've equipped us to do the work of the ministry, as it says in Ephesians, Father God. Now, Lord... I pray in the name of Jesus for each and every one of us that are here right now for the fire of God, the fire of God, the passion to see this gospel be preached to every neighbor, to every family member, to every coworker, to every person that we come in contact with, Father. In every city, in every town, in every region of this area, Father God. We ask you for that. We receive it by faith. We trust you, God, that you're working in every one of our hearts, God. You're doing it differently according to each one of us, Father. You're meeting us at our specific point of need, and we thank you for that, that you love us so much that you customize this relationship, and you even customize the dealings of our hearts, God. We bless you tonight, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you all. Thank you so much. Pray that this has been a blessing to you. Amen. Amen. Now, 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 we'll still be here next Wednesday night. We'll be doing something else, but we'll still be here Wednesday night. Amen. 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 God bless you.